Imagine a place where students use media, creativity, communication, and critical thinking to make stories come to life. A place where authentic audiences are enlightened by the kids who live there. Hawk Media Productions at Kealakehe Intermediate School, located in Kona, Hawaii, is an example of that place where students strive daily for the summit. From school broadcasts, Hiki No Stories, Community Spotlights, and now podcasts, Hawk Media Productions hopes to inspire other schools to get involved in meaningful learning for the community and the world. Believe it or not, all schools have the students, teachers, and community partners to be the spark for what school could be in Hawaii. You know, you should be ingrained in what you're learning and don't be in the classroom. Let's go places. Let's go, you know, out in the field and interview people and talk to people. And so that kind of started to change. That I care about um, their passions and their interests that I want to spark their curiosity and uh, I want to empower them to find out whatever it is that they, what impacts they feel they can make um, on this world. Really make real devices and real things that would make a difference in the world. So simply, a teacher leader is not a boss. Uh, it's not a, they're not a supervisor um, peer and they invite others on journeys. You are listening to the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. Here's your host, Josh Rapoon. Everybody, this is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. My name is Josh Rapoon. I'm your host, and we're here today with Sandy Camelli, who I've known for a long time, which is super awesome. Sandy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. Good morning. Good morning. So, Sandy, um, typically the first part of the episode is about biographic material, and I appreciate everything that you sent to me so I could get prepared for this moment. Um, so, instead of having you tell us all of the things that are in your biography. I'm just going to say that you have a BA in elementary education, a master's in special education, and a doctorate in education leadership. So from all of this graduate work must have come a philosophy of education, I'm imagining. Um, so Sandy Camelli, what is your philosophy of education? Wow, right out of the gate, Right huh? out of the gate, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think it's just that everyone can. And what I mean by that is whether it's students, uh, whether it's adult learners, um, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Learning is fluid and is an adventure for people who choose to um, go on a journey. And um, I think I've always just had that mindset that, you know, if there's a will, there's a way. Right. And so I've, I've incorporated that into classroom work. Uh, I was with middle schoolers for the bulk of my career, and then now with adult learners. And um, it's, if, if there are roadblocks, I tend to find ways around. So I think it really is about if there's a will, there's a way, and everyone can. Do you remember along that um that journey of getting your BA and your master's and your, and your doctorate. Do you remember when it occurred to you that there's a will, where there's a will, there's a way is, is going to be, or would become your North star? I think because I myself encountered roadblocks and obstacles, um, it allowed me to be empathetic towards any of the students that I was working with. And, um, knowing that, you know, if it were easy and seamless, 
then anyone could do it or everyone would be doing it. Um, but help having those um, obstacles to navigate myself right. then allowed me to, you know, think out of the proverbial box and um, mm-hmm. look for other avenues other than traditional paths. And so I was one that tended to color outside of the lines and um, knowing that that's, that's okay. I mean, we want to encourage learners mm-hmm regardless of what level they're at to mm-hmm. color outside of the lines. I remember my own experience coming out of high school in 1976 that I did two stints in college that were very short and were a complete waste of time. Uh, I, as I've said in previous episodes, I drank a lot and I played a lot of rugby in two different locations at San Francisco State University and University of Oregon. But then many years later, 10 years later, after a career as a chef, I went back to get my undergrad and I was I was unbelievably motivated. I was uber motivated mm-hmm. at that point. And even to this day, I'm still trying to figure out why I was so motivated at that moment. I know I was paying my own tuition, so that was an important <laughs> thing. Um, but at that point, I was really ready to learn. And I'm, mm-hmm. I keep wondering about that experience of working in between. Anything like that in your life where you had things happen that informed other periods later? Um. Well, it actually goes back a little before even my first college degree. And I think I was just one of those hungry learners as a child. Mm -hmm. And I knew very early on that I was going to pursue education um, as my path. And I remember as a child, maybe as young as six or seven years old, thinking and always had utmost respect for my teachers. But I remember thinking, wow, like someone can be in a classroom permanently, like forever and ever. And, and you know, whereas a lot of people, they just want to check the box and get out and move. Right. But that realization that I can be a lifelong learner, even if I didn't have the vocabulary at the time, right. just motivated me to, I'm going to do whatever it takes so that I can always be surrounded by learning. And so that then motivated me. Um and I think early on, you know, we, we are such different people in our 20s and even 30s. And, you know, I won't age myself here terribly, but um, it, your, your philosophy changes and the needs of who you are as, right. you know, a, a human being learning changes. And so I thought I was going to spend time at the elementary school level. And I had this very... Um, amazing administrator who hired me um, at Kealakehe Intermediate, Hawk Media Productions here. That's where I started my journey. Hawk Media actually does all of the post-production work for these episodes. So thanks for the shout out. Yeah, no, they're just tremendous. Of course, you know, dinosaurs roamed the earth when I was there. But we... um, While I was there, I had this amazing administrator who saw something in me that I didn't necessarily see in myself. And it was a talent for um, cultivating authentic learning opportunities for students, but also paying it forward and sharing that with my peers. And that kind of led down a path that I never anticipated in professional development or professional learning. 
And so uh, that nudge by that administrator um, just took me in a totally different direction, wow. but something that I'm, I'm happy. Um, That's that, great. Yeah. We're going to come back to that a little bit later, um, talking about what it is that um, teachers and teacher leaders need from their administrators. But before we go there, I just want to mm. say that you've been a classroom teacher, mm. you've taught at university, you've developed, this is all from your biographic material, you've taught uh, or you've developed a tutoring center. You've supervised teachers. Um, you've been a resource teacher, a teacher mentor, a teacher coach, an online lecturer, and now you're the coordinator of the Nakumu Alakai um, Teacher Leader Academy in our Department of Education. So my question around all of that is: In what ways did your work prior to 2015 mm-hmm. um, inform and influence and shape your Nakumu Alakai approach? Oh. So I'm also a graduate of Nakumu Alakai. Okay. And I participated, um, gosh, in, well, it's been over a decade, but um, I was um, looking for an opportunity to continue my growth. Uh, administration wasn't a path for me. I knew that. Um, I was very much grounded in the work that I was doing with the students. And so when I had the opportunity to attend the program myself, I was surrounded with um, and had the opportunity to network with other teacher leaders from across the state. And that opened my eyes because when you're at your own school, you tend to be in a bubble. And it's such a wonderful experience to be able to reach out and ask questions and, and problem solve and say, well, this isn't quite working at our school. How do you deal with it at your school? Right. And, you know, being a neighbor island educator for the bulk of my career, it was sometimes a little intimidating to mm-hmm. come to Oahu right. and work with um, educators that were kind of more in the hub of a lot of the resources. Right. But it wasn't an intimidating experience at all. If anything, it was uplifting and elevated. Um, teacher leadership for me and for our school and a colleague of mine that um, went through the program at the same time. So that that ended up, I took back the resources, I took back the networking and the experiences and continued to grow and um, just share and empower my peers and because they started asking questions, you know, what is this? How does this impact the work? Which everything we do ties back to student um, success. Right. So, so you were paying it forward. I was paying it forward. And, th- and that's a theme that's emerging out of, your, out of your material that you sent to me is that you're a person who pays it forward. And that's the whole point to everything. So that's a perfect segue to, to my next question. So apparently you had a, you've developed a, a series of professional crushes, um, which is, was really fun to read. You, you told me about this in a blog post. Um, and I, I really, I might have not enjoyed a blog post as much as that one ever. Um, so professional crush, this is an acronym mm. actually. So C stands for challenges to yourself. R stands for recognizing alternatives. U is understanding the we and everything that we do. S is um, sharing untested ideas. H is for humility. In other words, mm. you know, the goal before. And so the question around this is I want you, you gave me a chart with a list of people who you've had professional crushes on. Um, so I, I wonder if you can just reflect for a minute on three that I'm picking out of that list. So Young Zhao, mm-hmm. um, Posse Salberg, and Michelle Obama. Oh. So talk to me about the crush and about, about these three people and what they've brought to your life. So they've all 
they're all authors, and I've read their work, all three of those work. And I've had, um, for Yang Zhao and Posse, I've actually been like in some of their keynotes um, and even have a picture with Yang, Yang Zhao. Um, kind of stalked him at a conference once. <laughs> got um, a selfie but, with him. Yeah, I got a selfie with him. Um, yeah. And then um, Posse was at a distance, but, you know, still feeling like the vibrations were coming through. But these amazing people and Michelle, she's on my bucket list. So someday, you know, we'll have coffee. I just know that. Right. But um, these people spoke to speak to my soul when it comes to how I operate as an educator. And so through their writings and their own musings and their personal trials and tribulations, but also the vulnerability um, that has been shared, I just felt like these are my people, you know, and, um, you know, we, on a daily basis, we connect with people and we, we, you know, it's the stories overlap and we find not just the commonalities, but almost purposeful steps that we can take to merge. I mean, think of the power of that, of when you can merge passions with other people and then you can do greater good for others. And so, um, These three individuals, because they're so about making a difference in other people's lives, um, two of them specifically in the field of education, and then the other one more on a humanity level, I... I just, you know, honor the work that they have done and um, in my humblest of moments, try and um, replicate components of Mm. their work and infuse it into my own mission. I think something like that is happening for me with these episodes. Mm. As I spend time getting ready to interview people for this podcast, I'm finding that there are those crush moments where I'm just like, I can't even believe what I'm reading here. Um, that that this particular item in the resume just has that kind of an impact. So I think it, it's a, it's very cool. And thank you for sharing that blog post with me because sure. it really resonated. And I love the names that are on the list oh. as well. Hey, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to Sandy a little bit more about her bio and about uh, what it means to keep the grouchies away. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, I'm Tyler Kern from Market Scale. We're excited at the arrival of a new podcast series out of Hawaii titled What School Could Be in Hawaii. Market Scale is thrilled to be partnering with Josh Rapoon on this project and can't wait to hear the insight and thought leadership he brings to EdTech. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can hear it and others over at marketscale.com. You click on industries at the top of the page and then scroll down to EdTech. Hope to see you there. Hey, everybody. We're back. We're with Sandy Camelli, who is the... Are you the director of the Nakumu Alaka'i Academy? Is that the right title? I prefer facilitator. Facilitator. That's great. So you listed in your resume a publication that you authored titled, A Happy Day Keeps the Grouchies Away. What was that publication about? It's actually a children's book. And it... um, came about working at the middle school level, quite honestly. And I was um, at Konawina Middle School on the Big Island. And as most middle schools do, they incorporate an advisory program. 
and it's um, an opportunity for a teacher and a small group of students to, um, you know, have those touch points and make sure that, you know, kids are doing okay academically, but also socially and emotionally, which are major tenets of middle school philosophy. So one of the activities we would do in in our advisory class was um, have like circle time and have the students just talk about a prompt or respond to a prompt, I should say. And I would try and do these on Monday mornings to kick off the week and also Friday afternoons before they left for the weekend. And what I found, and a lot of our students came from low socioeconomic households, and and sometimes they didn't go home to the most favorable environments and not as much support as we would like them to have. So I just started throwing out phrases to the kids like, what were your happies this week? You know, what can you go home on the weekend and maybe celebrate or talk to your family about what went well this week in school? What was a happy? I use that term. And then if there were any grouchies or things that didn't work so well um, to help them problem solve. So we would just start going around the circle, and I felt pretty good that by the time they left on a Friday afternoon, they were holding some treasures that they could take with them to either keep if they were by themselves or share with families if they um, were privileged enough to be with their families that weekend. So I have one very quick story that I was gone on a Friday, probably at a meeting or a conference, and I came back on a Monday morning. And a little birdie in my class, she comes running up to me and she was almost hysterical. And this is a child who was not a problem child and never a discipline issue. But she was like, miss, miss, I have to tell you something. And I'm envisioning things like the naughties were probably throwing extra fish food in the fish tank or, you know, somebody lost all the tops to the glue sticks or, you know, every teacher's horror. And she pulls me aside and she's a little, you know, she's just so emotional. And I said, what is going on? And she said, the substitute didn't let us do our happies and grouchies. And I realized how How important important. that was for this child. So we rallied our chairs and we made sure we started the week and, you know, and then sent them to their classes because we still change classes and everything. But so that that was that was part of it. I knew I was kind of onto something. Now these are middle school kids. We're talking eleven and twelve year olds, and and although any effective educator knows that you can use picture books anywhere, I wasn't initially thinking picture book for middle school. But then I had family members with little ones that you bounce on your knee, and I started playing the happy and grouchy game with them as well. So on a flight home um, from California one summer, on a five-hour flight, I just started penning these phrases that rhyme in this book, and it came out to a happy a day keeps the grouchies away. But each section of the book focuses on what were mommy's happies and what were brother's happies and what was auntie's happies. And so it's kind of follows a child's family members and what were my teacher's happies and the neighbor's happies. So it's a cute little uh, little book. Um, yeah. Doesn't quite tie into teacher leadership, but I appreciate oh, the question. <laughs> no, no, I think I think it absolutely ties into teacher leadership because because teachers, uh, we want to encourage teachers to be thinking along those lines. Right. What is it that our students need, and what is it that I can do to help them move through their days? Mm. And I was I actually side question. Uh, 
to this, which is that Hawaii has a, if I'm correct, a particularly strong middle school association, mm. um, right? And that you guys, all of you middle school educators and teacher leaders really know each other well. Mm. We try and develop a pretty strong network. So at the national level, it's referred to AMLE, which is the Association for Middle Level Education. Here in Hawaii, we put an H in front of it. So it's the Hawaii Association for Middle Level Education. And I've served on the board for a number of years, and I was um, past president for a couple of years. And so we did make sure we did a lot of outreach and um, wanting to just celebrate what was happening for those of us that love working with walking hormones, yeah. um, and so celebrating the educators that work with that age level. Right. So, Sandy, on January 28, 1986, Ellison mm-hmm. Onizuka died in the Challenger explosion, and Ellison mm-hmm. is uh, one of our native sons in Hawaii. He's buried in Punchbowl Cemetery here on Oahu. Um, describe for our listeners um, who, who could be local, they could be national, they could be global, but I think a lot of people know his story because mm-hmm. of the Challenger story. Describe for our listeners how you merged project-based learning, social and emotional learning, service learning, and remembrance mm-hmm. into a project with your students that focused on Ellison. Absolutely. So Ellison Onizuko is a graduate of Konawina High School. And again, I was teaching at the middle school, and we share the campus with the high school. And in 2011, what would have been the 25th anniversary of the Challenger disaster, that anniversary was approaching. And just off the cuff, I happened to ask kids, you know, I said, does anyone know what major anniversary? Now, again, these are 12 and 13 year olds, so they weren't born at that time. But I asked if anyone was familiar with the anniversary and the date. And I was, um, the response was crickets. Um, which is not that um, surprising surprising, with middle schoolers, exactly. Mm -hmm. So um, I I probed a little bit more, and I said, well, let me give you a hint. His name is on the gym. There's a a museum down at the airport. You know, I think I gave a couple. And when I finally said museum at the airport, then a bunch of the kids said, oh, yeah, Onizuka. And I said, okay, tell me what you know about him. Again, kind of dead air. So... I thought, gosh, you know, it's really too bad that this generation has lost touch with who this local hero is and what might we do with this information and what with this opportunity. So I was a classroom teacher. I didn't have any special titles. I wasn't even um, referred to as a teacher leader in any shape or form. But I went to my administrator at the time and I said, You know, I have this group of students. It was a heterogeneously grouped class. So I had kids with IEPs all the way up to our gifted and talented students in the room. And it was uh, considered a study skills class that it's not that we didn't have curriculum programming, but it certainly was looser than your traditional classes. So I asked my administrator, I said, could I incorporate a service learning project into this class? And we're still going to hit the bullets of learning, but I I have an idea. So the first idea was to send the kids back and have them collect oral histories from their parents and grandparents and anyone who remembered either Ellison himself and his family or the tragedy that occurred. Right. So that was kind of the first um, activity. And the kids, I gave them about a week, a couple of weekends. 
And they started to come back and they would be like, Miss, did you know? And they would share facts with me and some I did know and some it was new information to me as well. And then the kids started to get excited about sharing their own facts that they had discovered about um, Colonel Ellison Onizuka. And I said, well, what should we do with this information? And the kids, they're like, well, everybody needs to know this. They don't, how it's come nobody knows? They come knows to that conclusion, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, as and soon I'm, as they start researching, right. then my they heart come to that is conclusion. just like growing, you know, expanding because they're like, people need to know about this. How come people don't know about his life? Right. And so um, I said, okay, well, what do you want to do about this? And so one little girl said, well, are any of his relatives still here in Kona? And I knew that his brother and sister still lived in Kona. And I also was um, friends with the curator down at the museum um, who I would take classes down there. And so I reached out to her and I said, I know this is a long shot and the family's probably very private, but is there any chance? Um, I was just going to have the kids write letters to the Onizuka Ohana. And so Nancy Tashima, who was the curator of the museum, she reached out and she said, well, Claude, his brother, um, is willing to come talk to the kids if you want him to. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, wow. you know. Yeah. And so then, um, he's, then when I talked to him on the phone, he said, well, can I bring my sister? So here I have two surviving siblings of, of um, Ellison Onizuka willing to come to my class. And so... Um, I didn't tell the kids initially. I just started to ask, well, you know, if you decide to write these letters to his family, what questions would you ask? Or, you know, what would you want to say? And how would you want to honor, you know, and all of these questions? Well, they got so excited and, and they were like, can we just get him on the phone? Or, you know, they, and I, so I said, well, what if we try? And I knew it was going to happen, but again, I want to make them work for it. Um, I kind of said, well, what if you folks write an invitation and you invite the family and yeah. we'll go through um, Auntie Nancy, Nancy Tashima down at the Onizuka Center, and she'll deliver it and we'll see if he'll call you on the phone or something. So they got, so anyway, so long story short, we hosted um, both um, Claude and Shirley, the wow. surviving siblings at our school. You would have thought that Taylor Swift was coming to school that day. Yeah. The kid, they dressed up. They um, they told all their families the parents wanted to come. I mean, it be, we didn't let them. I wanted it just to be a very intimate um, opportunity for the kids. For the kids right. And so they did write these letters that they put in a book, and they made a video, which is actually on the school tube. Yep. channel now. Yep. Um, and they presented this book um, too. So it was talk about, you know, yeah. just a chicken skin moment. But um, and a lot going into it. There were so many things. There were, were so were many. Yeah. Into it. So but it, it yeah. ended up being that they owned their learning. And, that's the and point, they right? we had a um, young man write a song. And then he invited a friend to sing the song and they performed the song for the family. And very cool. it was just I sat back and watched magic happen. Yeah. Is what happened. Yeah. That's very cool. Thank you, Sandy. Hey, everybody, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about something a little bit more grounded in the hard realities of school with Sandy. Um, we're going to be talking about Joshua of the Jungle. We'll be right back. Purple Maya, our specialty is providing cultural based programming to learn technology and computer science. 
we are always looking for teachers, volunteers, and schools to partner with. But our programs aren't only for Keiki. Heard of the Purple Prize? We're accepting applications now for Kamaka Inana, a design and venture ideation program for adults interested in creating solutions that positively impact the Pai Aina. It's about shaping the way Hawaii designs for the future. Visit us at purplemaya or purpleprize.com for more info. Also, how major is this podcast? Keep up the good work, guys. Hey, everybody. We're back. We're with Sandy Camelli. Sandy, um, I do want to talk specifically about teacher leadership. And maybe before we, we talk about Joshua of the Jungle, maybe I'll just have you sort of give us a brief working definition of what a teacher leader is. So I know that's not easy to do, but <laughs> this is your this is your elevator moment. This is my elevator moment. Um, so every teacher is a leader is the bottom line. Right. And so our teachers lead in their classrooms um, and they sometimes lead in small trios or pairs. They might lead a department or a grade level. Um, sometimes it's formal. Most of the time it's informal. Teacher leaders are risk takers and teacher leaders um, are also pay it forwarders. And teacher leaders, in my work and my viewpoint, truly are the hope of our public school system right now. And for building our capacity. And for building our capacity. And you shared with me a video that was um, Mm -hmm. put out by the Department of Education about teacher leadership. And there were a number of things that they said that the narrator described as not teacher leadership. So Mm -hmm. what are those things that are not teacher leadership? So simply, a teacher leader is not a boss. Right. Uh, it's not. A, they're not a supervisor. Um, they're they, not watching over your shoulder. Correct. You know, they are a peer, and they invite others on journeys. Is what a teacher leader basically does. And so, it. Um, I think we get stuck sometimes in titles, but the bottom line is, it's always. Um, it's never about the role. It's always about the goal. Right. And that's a quote that we tend to use from time to time. So our our teacher leaders in our schools, um, which range, we have teacher leaders working at the preschool level all the way up to 12th grade. We have teacher leaders on all of our islands. Uh, they're working in um, some of our urban schools here on Oahu and some very tiny, remote, um, rural schools on the neighbor islands. Um, and, you know, Basically, I'll tell you just a sidebar here. It's my going from a cringeworthy moment to a chicken skin moment. Mm. And what I mean by that is um, I've had people walk into the program and say, well, the reason I'm here is because nobody at my school will listen to me. And so I signed up to take this program so that people will listen to me. Mm. That definitely is on the cringeworthy end of the spectrum, right? I have other teachers that will walk in and they're their tears or they're just, you know, so excited, their hearts are bursting and they're like, my teachers are amazing. How do I continue to support them? And it's always about looking forward to helping and supporting others. So, you know, I didn't give you the perfect definition. I I think what I'm trying to do is just frame Mm -hmm. because it's not a one size fits all. And really depending on your own, um, 
passion and direction and journey and contributions that you plan to make right. is really how it will be defined for you, an individual as a teacher leader. And and all of us as educators are defining, we're, we're contributing to the definition of That's teacher right. leaders along the way. We're all works in progress. Yeah, for sure. So this next part, Sandy, I, I, I want to talk about Joshua of the Jungle. Mm-hmm. And you sent me a bunch of material, including a, a bunch of um, links to your your blog, and I, I read your blog posts. Um, and I really struggled with this part, Sandy, because because I just wasn't sure how to do this for a radio audience so that people mm-hmm. would understand exactly what was going on here. And but I'm determined, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it anyway. Um, so I, I read this blog, and I know we don't have too much time, so we can't mm-hmm. dig, we can't describe the story too much. But um, I read this blog post about this kid who was as um, far out on the edge as as a kid could be. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of trauma in the mm-hmm. background, all of those things that make it difficult for a kid to socialize with other students, uh, so on and so forth. And the, the blog post that you wrote describes how you worked with others to slowly and carefully mm-hmm. bring him onto campus and to give him a place of safety and a voice um, and you called him Joshua of the Jungle. Um, and uh, before I ask you to kind of describe the story, I just w- I want to tell you that um, the story, I, uh, two things happened when I was reading your blog post. One was I was astonished at the level of innovation and creativity and imagination that was in play in working with this kid. Mm-hmm. And often we think of innovation as, you know, 3D printing Mm -hmm. and things like that. But really innovation can be found in every corner of every situation that we're working on. And the other thing is, I'll confess right here on the radio, I cried when I read Mm -hmm. the outcome of this story. So briefly, can you tell us what happened with Joshua, who he was and how he came in and then what what the result was? Mm -hmm. So the, the title of this blog post also talks about defining my why. Right. As an educator. Right. And recently I was at um, kind of a retreat with other uh, leaders and we were asked where our why as educational leaders comes from. And I shared this story. Right. And subsequently I turned it into a blog post. And it so it hasn't been a story that was shared publicly um, mm-hmm. really ever other than the people that were involved at the time. Right. But you're, you're right. Joshua had a very um, sad home life and um, and was developmentally delayed in so many ways by the time he was seventh grade and came to our school. And he was one that pretty much camped or lived either in the counselor's office or the administrator's office prior to coming to our school because no one could handle him in the classroom. I was I was no saint. I am not a saint, um, but I do have a special education background. And so when the principal approached me, she simply asked, can we try to see if Joshua would acclimate? So I was, um, at that time, the yearbook teacher, the student activities coordinator. I didn't have traditional lines, but I had a lot of classes that involved um, a lot of activities and events and non-traditional um, learning. So he uh, joined uh, my advisory class, and um, and also we enrolled him in my yearbook class and wow. taught him how to use a camera mm-hmm. and taught him how to use a printer and those types of things. But what 
was happening, and we all know this with our students, is we really only have them six hours a day, and the other 18 hours are out of our control for the most part. And so he, um, it was Halloween time, and our class was going to decorate a pumpkin. And the librarian at the time suggested that our pumpkins um, be themed around a character in a book. Right. And so our class, um, we, well, the character was a boy, a male. Anyway, that's what we were going to make our pumpkin about. So the rules were, because again, our school was very low socioeconomic status, no money could be spent. And so you either had to make the decorations or bring them from home. So all the kids signed up to bring things from home and Joshua um, signed up to bring socks. He was going to bring a pair of socks to make our our boy uh, out of the pumpkin. So I was very excited that he had kind of found a way to contribute, even though he couldn't, he literally could not read or write, and some of his oral and communication skills were weak and pretty low. But he wanted to be part of this team building activity with the pumpkin. He was excited about bringing the socks. He was very excited about bringing the socks. And so we sent the kids on the way for the weekend and anticipating that on Monday um, we were going to start putting the pumpkin together. So I come to school on Monday, and I'm immediately told there's an emergency meeting that's going to happen for Joshua, and that coverage had already been provided for my classes. They anticipated this to be a long meeting, a couple hours, ended up being over a dozen people at this meeting. I had no idea what was going on. Of course, I was worried. I didn't know if he had been in the hospital, or he had been bumped from foster care to foster care, so didn't know if he ran away from one of the foster homes. So we get into the meeting, and there's a police officer there. And there's a child advocate and some other official people there. And um, they start to talk about the robbery at this thrift store in our neighborhood. And there had been two high school males. And then um, Joshua was like the puppy dog following them around. So the two high school males that broke into the thrift store stole the cash register, which is to be expected, about $250. And when the alarm went off and the police came, Joshua was still found in the building. And what Joshua stole was a pair of socks. Wow. And therein lies the moment. He cared. He really wanted to be part of this, but he didn't have the means to get the socks. Mm -hmm. So in this 12-person meeting, I'm trying to defend and explain why he was getting the socks, which fell on deaf ears because it was a criminal act and everything else. So eventually, he um, was he was removed from our school and transitioned to um, a residential treatment center here on Oahu. Right. And I crossed paths with him, um, I think maybe two more times, and then just an ultimately lost touch. Right. But I think the reason I use that story to define my why, and it goes back to maybe your original question yes. of my philosophy, is you know everyone can and everyone deserves. The opportunity. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a work in progress. Right. Everybody um, is is on a, a journey up a mountain, mm-hmm. um, and that's why I reacted the way that I did when I read that post. I was just sitting in front of my iMac, and I just started tearing up because, for me, I would have jumped out of my chair and said, "This is precisely the moment to keep him here." Um, and the way the system tends to work traditionally is to say, no, you have to face the consequences. Right, right. And so here was this moment where that did not happen. I, it must have been very heartbreaking for mm-hmm. you to see that happen. 
And um, the kids too, because the kids, they, the beauty of kids is they are so tolerant of everyone's abilities and sometimes disabilities. Right. And so when they realized that Joshua was gone, it wasn't about, oh, darn it, now we don't have a pair of socks. It was like, where did Joshua go? Right. They had the compassion to want to care about him right. and know. And because, as you know, you know, we can't disclose a lot of confidential things. So I couldn't tell them where he had gone. Right. But anyway. So it, so it feels like as we go forward that the more teacher leaders we mm-hmm. have in our systems, public, private, and charter, the more we will have compassionate, kind, understanding educators who would not do what happened in that mm. moment, that they would be the voices for Joshua and would say, no, this is the moment to keep him here. This is a growth moment, a fail forward moment. Mm. And maybe that's the dream is mm. that we'll get so many of them that that decision can't get made by authorities. I hope mm-hmm. that that's what happens we in the future. Do. So Sandy, I want to I wanna end this episode by asking, <laughs> and, and I know it's kind of hard to transition to, um, to um, away from Joshua of the jungle, mm-hmm. but um, I want to ask every person who's on on these uh, podcast episodes uh, what their definition or what their description of what school could be. And I know that you've seen Most Likely to Succeed, mm-hmm. Ted Dinter Smith's film, and you've read his book. Mm-hmm. Um, so both to you, books. both books, yeah, right. <laughs> um, because because the book Most Likely to Succeed came out after mm-hmm. the film. Most people don't know that. Right. He co-wrote that with Tony Wagner. Right. Um, so what could school be to you? So a favorite quote that I have and I use with our teacher leaders is from George Bernard Shaw. Mm -hmm. And it talks about if I have an apple and you have an apple and we exchange apples, each of us still walks away with one apple. Wow. But if I have an idea and you have an idea and we exchange ideas, we've now both left or moved on with two ideas. And how powerful is that? Wow, that just blows my mind. (laughs) I love that quote. Actually, I used it in the classroom, but now I use it even more with our teacher leaders. And so the whole power of community and the power of, um, you know, more um, minds are better than one, right? Two minds are better than one, more than two minds. And so I think what school can be, what leadership should be, is about that sharing of ideas and growing those ideas collectively. And ultimately, it's for the greater good and, again, the pay it forward to our peers and our, I always say, staff, students, and stakeholders, and the order mixes up depending on what I'm talking about. But it really is those three S's, right? And so when we're putting emphasis into our work, we're going to benefit our students, our staff, and our stakeholders on a regular basis through collective efforts. Wow. So when Ryan Ozawa and I were actually scheming out this podcast series here at Halau Inana on Oahu, um, which is an amazing innovation space created by Kamehameha Schools, um, we were upstairs on a whiteboard. And um, as we as we charted out what the podcast series would be about, one of the things that Ryan told me was that like 99% of people who do podcasts are all technically proficient at podcasting, but they don't have the why at the beginning. They don't have the mission and vision. And he, and he said that what we have is completely the mission and vision, but we don't have the other 99%, which is the technical part. And since then, we've built that part. Mm-hmm. But what's really cool in this moment is that where one idea shared with someone else then becomes two ideas. I think that's what you've just given the series at this moment. Mm 
because we thought that we really had our mission and vision. But what you've, what you've shared with me today is that each of the guests on this series brings an orange and I have an apple and then we exchange <laughs> and now I have an apple and an orange, right? <laughs> and so that's, that's actually a really neat thing that you're sharing here and that's, it's very special. Um, Sandy Camelli, the facilitator of Nakumu Alaka'i Teacher Leader Academy here in Hawaii, thank you for being with us today. It's been an honor. Thank you. Coming up next on the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast, Trish Morgan from Stevenson Intermediate School. Find the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher as well as at mltsinhawaii.com. Join the ongoing conversation across social media. Look for Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii on Facebook, at MLTS in Hawaii on Instagram, and at MLTS in Hawaii on Twitter. Tag your posts with hashtag what school could be, hashtag deeper learning, hashtag edchat, and hashtag education. We want to hear from you. Send your comments, questions and feedback to mltsinhawaii at gmail.com or direct message us on Twitter at mltsinhawaii. Our next interviews will be recorded on Saturday, January 25th, starting at 9 a.m. Hawaii time. Find us at the Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii Facebook page. Video of each interview will also be available on demand on YouTube. Look for what school could be in Hawaii playlist on our Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii channel. If you love this podcast series, we would really appreciate a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help us reach a wider audience of innovative educators. And please feel free to share this series with colleagues, friends, and family. Your host is Josh Rapoon. Our technical producer and podcast consultant is Ryan Ozawa. Post-production is by Hawk Media Productions, the digital media program at Kealakehe Intermediate School. The editor for this episode is AJ Rosario. Under management from student director May Kanata. All under the guidance of media director Matthew Williams. Special thanks to photo and video contributor for our October episodes, Matthew Tom, a media and English teacher at Stevenson Intermediate School. And a huge shout out to Ted Dintersmith, author of the book, What School Could Be, an education change agent. Now, off to your next education adventure. Class dismissed.